time of day it is. I got in late last night, and I was blessed by Micah. He said, did you get in late last night? And he thought to himself, he goes, or really early this morning? Uh, I was in San Diego. I did a men's conference at the Rise Church for Pastor Greg Denham, and I did get back early this morning. Um, and, and it's an interesting thing because um, I love Pastor Greg, and uh, my wife left this morning, not permanently. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she went to go take care of her parents and bring them back and help, help them pack to come back uh, to town. They, they spend the summer up there. And, um, and so my wife and I knew that we'd miss our Saturday together, and then I'm going to head to Portland uh, to go do another event um, with Heidi St. John uh, regarding liberty and contending there in an embattled state like California. <clears throat> And, and my wife and I knew that we were going to be gone from each other. Um, and, and when Pastor Greg asked me to come, it was one of those things that you couldn't say no because one of the things you find in the course of this is, you know, I, I've, I've said it often that I, I don't know what's worse, the voice of my enemies or the silence of my friends. And Pastor Greg was never silent. He always stood with us from day one. Um, he's put everything on the line to be a part of what we're doing. He was one of the first to invite Charlie to come and and I love this man, and so when he asked me to come, I did, and, he, and the church is only three years old. And for him to make this stand, he's really putting it on the line. And I got there, and there's like 100 guys, and I go, are you sure you want me here? Because I really have a gift to preach in church down to a manageable size. He's like, no, yeah, we want you here. And, and you guys are laughing now, because it seems like a church is full, but just give it time. Um, <laughs> and the only reason you're here is there's nowhere else to go, you know, it's just like... But, but as, as, um, as I was sharing, um, I, I was so blessed to be with them. And, and I was saying, Lord, what, you know, I, I love being here. I love talking to the guys. Uh, but I always know that he orders, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Now, I'm not righteous because of what I've done. I'm righteous because of what Christ has done. And he orders my steps in accordance with his mercy and grace. And I prayed for that opportunity. I always do. And I'm in between worship uh, with the last session where they want to come and ask me some questions in this gentleman comes up, his name's Steve, he's a pastor of an Assemblies of God church, and Assemblies of God, bless their heart, they believe in divine healing, and they're all scared of the virus, and they've shut down. Um, <clears throat> now, I, 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 that, that's true with every denomination, so I'm not just picking on them, I'm, I'm a full opportunity insulter. <laughs> but bless this man's heart, because he came up and he said, you know, um, I followed Pastor Greg, and then I come to find out he was moving because of what you did. And he said, we opened our church in Fallbrook, and I've got 300 folks, and they're all, the, the congregation, 80% of the congregation is over 70. And we had 300 people, and we're down to like 70. He said, the church has never been healthier. <laughs> he said, we've lost nobody from COVID, which is miraculous, but we have no masks, no social distancing, and we've, we've stood on the promises of the Lord he said, I'm a, I'm a bus driver for the school district, and I'm going to lose my job because I refuse to get vaccinated. And I looked at this man, and I said, Steve, how can I serve you? He goes, I, I've never been asked that question before. And I go, I, I don't know that I've ever offered that. I just feel compelled to the Lord. How can I serve you? And he goes, I, I don't know. And I said, would you like me to come and speak at your church sometime? He goes, you would come. I said, yeah, may, maybe, I, this is a long shot, but maybe I'd get Charlie because uh, he goes, oh, my folks love Charlie. I said, I can't promise that, but I can promise I'd be there. And he goes, I don't even know how I could pay for guys like you. I go, how did I begin the conversation? He said, how can I serve you? I said, yeah, I don't want any money. I've never asked for an honorarium. I don't care about money. My congregation takes care of me. They afford me the opportunity to minister to people across the country because of, of their generosity and their patience, and they know what we're doing is critical. Amen. <laughs> And I said, I'm proud of you, and I'm inspired by you. And you blessed me, and I prayed for him. And he, he big guy, a little bit older, but he was like crying. Men don't cry. He, his eyes were sweating. <laughs> and, he, and he hugged me uncomfortably long. <clears throat> but he said this. He said, would you tell your congregation, thank you. So from Pastor Steve to all of you, he says, thank you. Amen. We're going to uh, provide on our website, I think it might be up now, but there's a link to a podcast that I listen to frequently, but this last episode was remarkable. 
especially for our doctors and nurses and first responders, police and fire. Um, it's uh, Dr. Keith Rose, it's the Scalpel podcast, and he has an attorney who has won the first case in the United States in Florida against not only a county but city mandates on masks and vaccines, and he defeated them. And this attorney wrote a blueprint for the rest of the nation, and it is a fascinating presentation of, of constitutional law. I, I, I sent it to everyone I know. I sent it to uh, George, which is Candace Owens' husband. I said, this is gold. And, and there was a part in it where I could see her taking it and running with it. It was, it was fascinating. And this is, this is the part that the attorney argued before the judge and won, by the way. He said, you know, if a rancher owns 100 cattle and he wants to inject them with an experimental steroid to get more meat on the bone and it's never been fully tested, and all of his cattle die, no one's going to fault them because they're his property. Now, I don't know if you understand what the government's doing. They're declaring that you belong to them. Last time I checked, this is the United States of America, and they don't have that right. And he argues the, court, uh, the case that everyone argues, which is the Jacobson case, I believe is the name of it, where they, they said you had to pay a $5 fine or get the uh, inoculation for smallpox, I think it was. Was that right? Yeah. And <clears throat> they say that that's legal precedent. That's, that's constitutional law. And, they, and he says, judge, I'm in full agreement with Jacobson. And the attorneys for the county are like, what? And he said, but as you notice, that Jacobson defers the, the position of whether or not it's legal to the state. And in the state of Florida, forced vaccination is illegal. And he said, I can only think of three states in the country where you won't win this, but every other state, you'll win. And attorneys need to win. So I sent it to every attorney I know. Uh, we have to push. And I have to tell you right now, it was less than a year ago that they promised you a free Krispy Kreme donut if you got <laughs> the, the Fauci-ouchie, or as I call it, the clot shot. Some of you are insulted by that, and, and you've, you've, you've received it, and I don't, I don't judge you. I just think you weren't here earlier. <clears throat> and and, and I, I said, uh, or he pointed out, and, and this, is, this is the interesting concept, is, is as we're looking at our first responders and our police and fire, our nurses, our doctors, it began with, you get a free Krispy Kreme donut, and now it's, you're going to lose your job. This is, this is the greatest overreach in American history. And we, less than a year ago, all of our doctors and nurses and first responders, police and fire, paramedics, were considered heroes as they stepped into the fray under this horrific virus that has a 99.5% survival rate, 70 and under with no comorbidities. And we called them heroes. And now we're firing them. Most of them have immunity because they were exposed to it and they contract it and they go, I've had colds that are worse than this. Some of, some of us have lost friends to this. I get it. The question I would ask, was it the treatment they received? Or the treatment that they didn't receive? And, and yeah, okay. I, I've lost friends to this. I'm sad. And I'm angry. And there's liability. And now the governor of our state is telling us with a segment of a population that has a 99.9972% survival rate, which is 21 and under that we're going to inject them with an experimental vaccine that is already responsible, conservatively speaking, by the VAERS report of 16,000 deaths and over 600,000 people hospitalized. We've lost more kids to suicide than we have to COVID. We, more kids drown in bathtubs than die from COVID. And we're watching 13-year-olds die of myocarditis. And the governor has just mandated that our children have to receive Listen, my child, my kids are not his cattle. 
it all ties into the message, so don't get all panicked. <laughs> Before we begin the study of the word, and it'll all tie in, this is going to be the epicenter of support. There's a party in California that have always looked at our first responders, police and fire, as the poster children for their success, and they get the endorsement from the unions of the police and fire all the time. But fascinatingly enough, when those cities begin to burn, they turn on their police and they say defund them and they shoot at their firemen. And now these heroes, and rightfully so, because when people are exiting buildings, they're going in. The bravest of the brave of these first responders, especially doctors and nurses, police, fire, they are now standing in defiance to tyranny and they're all losing their jobs. And this congregation is committed to helping every single one of them and standing in their defense. And we will support them in any capacity possible. Amen? And here we begin. We have two congregants that are firefighters for the Beverly Hills Fire Department. They browbeat them. They're forcing them. They're going to fire them. This is so unconstitutional, so wrong on so many levels. And we're putting together legal defense to the best of our ability. I've been trying. I, I met with two of them. We also have L.A. County firefighters. A little bit stronger because they have a union. Beverly Hills doesn't. And, and, and we're going to stand in solidarity because in the First Amendment, we have the right to peacefully protest, peacefully protest for a right of redress of grievances against the government. And so we're going to do this. Do we have the slide? There we go. We're going to support these Beverly Hill firefighters. Now, I'm saying we. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be up in Oregon fighting there. I'm going to need you to fill in for me. And I don't know what you're doing that day, but if it's like giving your goldfish a bath or rearranging your sock drawer, <laughs> could you go to this for me, please? Can I get a couple of folks saying I'll be there? Yeah. And God bless you guys. One, ten, a hundred, it doesn't matter, just go. We have to fight on every front because this is the future of our republic, but more importantly for our children and our grandchildren. They are not the governor's cattle, and we will fight with every breath remaining in our bodies. And now, oh, yeah, I forgot about this part. I was thinking about Candace. I can imagine, you know, the one community that is fervently fighting back a, a segment of the population of America is the black community. Because they, they know that they've been used for, by every party. You go to 1876, the Republicans, you know, the very first senators and congressmen, black senators, black congress members, were, were Republican, and they were from the South. And when you had Tilden and Hayes in that election where it was divided by the um, electoral vote, the Republicans finally agreed to retain the presidency on one condition that the de Democrats had requested, and they yielded to it, was that they'd remove federal troops from the South. And the KKK went in, and they decimated, and, and forever it became a, a, a Democrat stronghold, especially after Johnson and the civil rights, which actually Republicans put forward. And every party's played the black community. And now they're waking up, and you're watching you know, musicians, musical folks that everyone had dismissed becoming the bravest people in America as they're starting to have their own voice. And now all of a sudden, they were revered and acknowledged and loved, and now they're no longer black, even though they have more melanin. It's because it has nothing to do with the melanin content. It's ideology. They, they're saying to the black community, you can't think for yourself. And, and I, you know what? I'm going to stand with anyone who stands in freedom. And, and, and if you think that we're not allowed to do that because they're atheists or agnostic. Or, liberty is a gift from God. It's inalienable for all mankind. They'll come to Christ, but the, the, the key component is we stand on behalf of them and their families. And we've got to stretch. And, and we, we've got to give it our, our all. Because when we leave, leave this earth, we breathe our last, we want to be able to look at our kids and our grandkids and say, I left it all on the field. 
And the reason why I built into all of it, and I said it was gonna, was gonna fit the message, is because in our anchored series, we left off with a really interesting guy. His name was Ahithophel. And I thought, Lord, I don't think I can teach another weird name again. <laughs> and then I was reading the anchored series, and I came across this name, and I'm like, yeah, that's a good name. And we're going to talk about this guy. And all you, all you folks are going to name your kids Barzillai. Barzillai. He's 80 years old. We're going to see that in a moment. Uh, go ahead. We can pass out scriptures if you want. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 17. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll give it to you. You, you can keep that Bible if you don't own one. It'll be the greatest gift you've ever received if you read it. Or it'll just be, oh, look at that. They, they, they're hungry for him. Pass them out, Israel. Fourth row back, they need one here. To your left, Israel, right there. All right. Keep that Bible. Did somebody not get one? I'm sorry, did you? You're, oh, we need one up front. Israel, right here. Come on. Get, let's get with the program. <laughs> You got the Fred Sanford shuffle. You're like, <laughs> I'm kidding. You're doing great, Israel, kind of. And uh, so, Barzillai, uh, he's an interesting guy because, as we're going to read momentarily, he's 80 years old. And um, back then, 80 was like 110. You know, they say the 60s, a new 30. <laughs> 80 was like the 110 back then. And, and, and that you'd, you'd survive to that age was remarkable. And at 80 years of age, he's a wealthy man. And he puts it all on the line. And he pledges his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. And he backs the king, David. Even though Absalom has taken over the kingdom, owns the military, and sits in the capital and has declared himself king... And David is a refugee, and David's older. He can't fight anymore. He's got a handful of guys left with him. And they cross the Jordan, and they have no supplies, and they're hungry. And they run into a guy named Barzillai, 80 years of age. You aid and abet the enemy, you will be hung, and you will die. And this is what's so remarkable about Barzillai, because a lot of folks think, you know, I'm old, and I get to retire now. First of all, where is that in the Bible? What are you going to do? Go to Vegas in the buffet lines? And where's the shrimp? You know, you're like all upset. Wow, that's boring. My in-laws traveled the country in an RV at Winnebago. And it took them like a year. And they're like, this is ridiculous. Let's go fight for America. And, and I, I, I look at all of you that are, you know, looking like me, gray. And this is the season where God wants to do the most. And, and Barzillai is... An inspiration. And where do you meet his son? Because this combination will bless you, I truly believe. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 17. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. I'm going to begin with verse 23. And I will butcher the names, but bear with me. Now when Ahithophel saw that his vice was not followed, he saddled a donkey, arose, and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. If you're wondering what that is, just study last week. I covered Ahithophel. Then David went to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Interestingly enough, Barzillai is a Gileadite. Absalom's occupying his land. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that Shobi... He's related to Obi, Juan Kenobi. <laughs> Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, of the people of Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, 
the Gileadite from Rogalim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. One more, please turn to chapter 19. 2 Samuel 19. I heard that. We're going to pick up at verse 31. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogalim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanaim. For he was a very, not just rich, he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, come across with me and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? He's talking about food. I don't have taste buds anymore. I can just tell texture. I like pudding. <laughs> can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? He just can't hear anything anymore. What? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please, let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant Kimham, which is Barzillai's son. But here is your servant Kimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king, and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Kimham shall cross over with me. And I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan. And when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him. And he returned to his own place. Now the king went on to Gilgal. And Kimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah escorted the king. And also half the people of Israel. Lord, thank you for your word. And God, as we come to a communion Sunday... And we realize that that's the embodiment that we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit that Christ resides in us. And that is a gift that we didn't earn by works. It's but by faith. And that we trust you. Grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast that we have recognized you as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and we've invited you to come into our life and take up residence, that we would be a new creature in Christ, that you would be the king, that you would sit enthroned upon our heart, that true freedom would come when we would allow the king who loves liberty to come and set us free, not only from the sin that besets us, but also the world that seeks to enslave us. And in you is true liberty. And you come to possess that which is rightfully yours. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. It's all yours, Lord. And we are the children. And this is your people. And you've come to deliver us and you appeal to us with the heart of heaven to repent. It just seems to change our mind. To declare that we are no longer the Lord of our life, but it's you to recognize this day that the two great truths of the universe is that there is a God and we are not him. And that you've come to set us free and reconcile us to the Father. That the penalty would be paid, the debt would be covered, and then, Lord, you can come and occupy what is rightfully yours for all of us. Whether we agree or not, the truth is we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in our mother's womb, created in the image of God, the only creatures in all your creation that have the ability to love. We've chosen to walk away from you, but you've given us a way back. Even with the systemic sin that is given to us by our ancestors since Adam and Eve, you've given a cure, the antidote to sin and death. 
And that is the communion elements, the body of Christ, the spirit of Christ that has come to set us free. And so, Lord, I pray that by this message in the life of Barzillai and Kim Ham and David, but more importantly, Jesus, you would awaken us all to who it is that we are to be and that we would no longer allow tyranny to enslave us, but today we would all be free. I pray your blessing upon all in the hearing of my voice, and I pray, God, that man would decrease, that your spirit might increase. And I thank you, Lord, that you choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. What a precious group of people, Lord, you've given me the privilege to be with. All of them far more blessed and gifted than I am. And yet, Lord, you've, you've chosen me to do this because I'm the least. And Lord, I understand that. That you want to declare that if Rob McCoy can be saved, anyone can be. And Lord, I'm not I'm not humiliated by that. I'm blessed. It's not anyone's ability. You don't don't call the equipped. You equip the called. You catch us before you clean us. Lord, I know I'm a work in progress as all of us are, but Lord, I thank you that you have this uncanny ability to allow us to realize that this grace is open to all who would call upon the name of the Lord. So God, would you do that today, please? And, and we're not mistaken, we know that anything that moves us is you, and only you. And we rejoice and we lift up your name, Lord Jesus, for there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So I pray that you would do what no man can do. Would you save eternally by your word, which is true, in the hearts of all the men and women present this day, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a seat if you would and relax. Don't get too relaxed. I like this guy Barzillai. He's he's an interesting fella. I'm going to build on him a little bit, but I want to back up to the story I was sharing when I was at Rise Church in San Marcos, and I ran into the, the pastor, Steve, who thanked all of you. But another man came up to me, and he was in his 80s. He's probably actually almost in his 90s. He just had a scrape and bake, you know, where you go to the dermatologist and he had bandages on these spots. Sweet man, precious. And he said, do you have a minute to counsel? And there was a line of people talking. I'm like, a minute, which ended up being like 20. But I was captivated and a little bit irritated. He said, I have a son who had two back surgeries and they were botched. And he got addicted to opiates. He had a neck surgery that was botched and he got really addicted to opiates. And he can't work and he lives at home. My wife was diagnosed with a problem. She lost eyesight in her left eye and the doctor said if it progresses she'll lose sight in the other eye and she ultimately lost complete sight and she's blind. And because she's blind and my son is incorrigible and struggling, he got agitated with her and had some words. And he, he was pushy. He didn't go in to say that he abused her, but alluded to that. He said, so I prayed about it, and the Lord said that we were to move and just let him have it and go find peace elsewhere. So we let him have the house, and we moved out. He said, and, and when we spoke with a counselor, they said this is elder abuse, and they, they sent out a a social worker, and he was belligerent to them, wanted us to press charges, and we couldn't find it within ourselves to do that. We struggled through it. He said, and I just don't know what to do. I said, how old's your boy? He says, 47. I go, I, I deliberately use the word boy because uh, you've never allowed him to be a man. And Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and I I don't seek to insult you, but I do have this remarkable gift. (laughs) He he laughed. He was sweet. I said, said, I'm hesitant to tell you what you need to hear. And he said, you know, I'm drawn to you, and I'm listening. I said, okay. I said, 
the Jews, when it's 13 years of age, they do a bar mitzvah, which means you become a son of the law. You're a man now. And, and you're responsible for your life and you're accountable to the consequences of you failing to honor the laws of nature and nature's God. And you're accountable to the law. But you have protected your son from the consequences of his life and you've enabled him and, and actually you've given him your house. I said, you know why he takes drugs? Because he can. You know why he doesn't work? Because he can. And I said, you've never let him grow up. He's 47, he's still a boy. There's no responsibility. He cares for no one but himself. And it's at your expense. But worse than that, I said, you pledged your life before God Almighty to your wife to be her provider and her protector. And you've taken her home and she's blind. And you've allowed him to take her home. She has to learn how to navigate a brand new apartment. You did that. I said, you're bigger than that. You need to love your boy. And you need to kick him out of your house. And go take care of your wife. And I thought, he's going to punch me. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, no one's ever had the guts to tell me that. He said, I'll take care of it this week. Now I'm afraid that his son's going to come and find me. <laughs> and I was moved by all the people that had been drawn to this place because of Pastor Greg who stood with me when no one else would. And I say that because he put a lot on the line. And that's Barzillai. <clears throat> Barzillai reminds me of our founding fathers. You look at Benjamin Franklin, who's the only founder to have his signature on the three major documents of our nation. The Paris uh, Peace Agreement, the Paris Peace Treaty, the Declaration of Independence, and, and the U.S. Constitution. He, he had terrible gout. When this all started, he was a, probably an octogenarian. John Adams would live to be, what, 93? And up until Reagan, he was the oldest president in the history of the United States. He died on the Jubilee, the 50th year of the nation's birthday, um, 17, no, 1826, let's see, three, yeah, 1826. He died the same day as Thomas Jefferson. And Jubilee to the founders was a special time. They actually looked at it and the forgiveness of debt will cover it momentarily. But when they signed this declaration, you look at a guy like John Hancock. He was a rich man. And when John Hancock signed his signature so big that King George could read it without his glasses on, I know that's probably a wives' tale, but there's some that would testify it being true. But his signature's hugantic. And he's like, there it is. That's my name. I either get liberty or I die. Take everything I have. But liberty is the most valuable thing to me. I would rather stand in freedom than kneel to tyranny. John Hancock never wore the uniform of the Continental Army, but funded it. And when they signed this birth certificate, it's 245 years young, they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They were taking on the greatest empire in the world that had just defeated the second greatest empire in the world. And there were 13 colonies of which nine had already abolished slavery. The remaining four would contend. They had put it in the Constitution by 1787 to remove slavery completely. It was until Andrew Jackson packed the court. John C. Calhoun, all the misery that they brought. But these founders pledged everything and put it on the line and they knew that they would hang and they would die and their chances of survival were terrible. And considering only one in nine Americans fought in the Revolutionary War, most of them were Tories, sympathizers. And what Washington retained in Valley Forge on December 23rd, 1776 was an army that was dying of dysentery. And I've shared this with you that a third of them didn't even have boots. They wrapped their feet in burlap sacks. 
and the other third mustard. And, and they read a pamphlet by a, an atheist at worst and an agnostic at best, Thomas Paine, who said, these are the times that try men's souls, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot. Will the season shrink from the duty of their country? But those who defend it now deserve the love and respect of all men and women. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. That which we receive too easily, we esteem too lightly. Heaven knows how to put its price on such a celestial article as freedom. He penned those words, inspired Washington, who passed it out to the remainder of the Continental Army. They marched 11 miles through the worst snowstorm in eastern seaboard history. The only casualties were the, the soldiers who froze to death. They crossed a frozen Delaware, surprised the Hessians on Christmas Day when everyone else was waking up to a warm Christmas meal. This experiment in liberty that you've all enjoyed for 245 years was just about gone. And, and they had all willingly exposed themselves to a virus. The smallpox with the Jacobson ruling would kill a third of the Americans. And you look at World War I and what it did and the Spanish influenza and all of that. And yet here we have a virus, 99.5% survival rate, and we're bowing to tyranny. They exposed themselves to smallpox because the British were already immune. And they didn't expose themselves to smallpox to defend liberty. They exposed themselves to smallpox in order to secure it for you. And they knew their families would die. And while they were all freezing in Valley Forge, and conscriptions would be up January 1 of 1777, it was these words and the funding of John Hancock and the leadership of George Washington and the words of Thomas Paine and the grit of nameless continental soldiers that gave you what you have today. So unimportant to us are they that we have forgotten our history. We don't remember who we are. We're now dusting off the old books and remembering what a constitutional republic is and how critical liberty is and what they did for us, which is so remarkable. And the churches are awakening to their responsibility that this war of independence was motivated by the pulpits of America and eastern seaboard. We've forgotten history. We don't know who we are. We're allowing our children to be indoctrinated by revisionist history with the 1619 Project, which is just absolute hogwash. And now they divide us by melanin content. They can't succeed there because I can live my whole life in Japan, become a Japanese citizen, and I'll never be Japanese. But here in America, it doesn't matter what you look like. When you become an American, you're an American. It's not a color. It's not where you descended from. It's an idea. Conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Endowed by their creator with these inalienable rights. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness or virtue. And that idea is perishing from the face of the earth. But it wasn't until these men, never before seen in 6,000 years of recorded history, penned these words that were first preached from the pulpits of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people. They, they were saying, in essence, this isn't a declaration of independence for America. This is for all people for all time. And John Adams would say, only a moral people can govern a republic. They would search the scriptures to understand civil law. They would see the Decalogue and know from moral law comes civil law. And they would, they would begin to build universities to educate pastors who would also be equipped with the law. And they pledged everything. And when they signed their name to that document, they knew they would lose everything. Everything. Barzillai, 80 years old, not just rich, very rich. Absalom holds the capital and he controls the army. David's old. Absalom's young and handsome, Fabio Hare. He's won the hearts of the people. He's in trouble, David is. David is running for his very life and he can barely walk because he's old and decrepit and the people with him are tired and worn out. And they cross the Jordan, they don't have a friend on the planet and out of nowhere comes a man that if you aid and abet David and Absalom continues to secure, 
If that happens, you will be dead and they will take everything you own. Barzillai, don't be stupid. David crosses the Jordan and Barzillai doesn't go into his pantry and take all the dented cans of refried beans out. You know, he doesn't take the, I don't know, haggis that somebody gave you as a joke at Christmas and you put that in the pantry like, you know, you won't eat it, but, you know, I want to be generous and let someone else eat it. <laughs> haggis is, is a Scottish word for, that's how you pronounce it. It's just, it was food that was invented on a dare. Ah, shove it all in the intestine and let's boil it. What do we call it? I don't know. And they cut it and they're like, let's call it haggis. That's how it was invented. Where was I? (laughs) Barzillai doesn't give his leftover food pantry, dented, rusted, botulism-filled cans. He goes all out. He gives David the best of his crop. He blesses him beyond measure. It says that he gives him beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curds, sheep, and the cheese of the herd. The people were hungry. He sustained them. He gave them everything. And he put what he retained on the line. And you know what he said to himself? Absalom is a rebel. God ordained that he, David, would rule. That the lineage would come from the the son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. God had blessed David. Through Samuel, he had been anointed. David was a man after God's own heart. He had his struggles, he had his issues, but God's hand was on him. And he understood mercy and grace and forgiveness. And he looked at Absalom and he said, that's a troubled kid and he's not to be the king. And even if he retains it and I die, I'm standing for what is right. I'm not in charge of the outcome. I'm in charge of being faithful. Do you understand that? And he put it all on the line. And then Absalom got stuck in a tree with his hair. <laughs> he got speared. <laughs> he died. David retains the kingship. And as he crosses the Jordan to come back into Jerusalem, he sees Barzillai and he says, come with me, man. I want to I repay you for what you did. I didn't have a friend in the world, but you were my friend. Come stay in the palace with me. <laughs> Barzillai says, I can't taste food anymore. I can tell texture, but I can't taste anything. I can't even hear people singing. I can't hear anymore. I went to the doctor with my wife the other day, and, and the doctor said that he needed a blood sample, a urine sample, and a fecal sample, and I couldn't hear him. I turned to my wife. I said, what did he say? And my wife said, he needs your underwear. And (laughs) it's not in the scripture. I made that up. (laughs) I'm just trying to thin the herd. I know some of you are going to leave, and I just just want to prepare you, you know. But but he can't hear anything. And he, he just says, look, I've done that all. And Barzillai reminds me of my dad. I love what he said at the end. He just said, I want to stay with my family in my home. The palace has no intrigue for me. It's a good rule. He put it all on the line. But at the end of the day, even though he had pledged his life, his fortune, his sacred honor, put his son's future on the line, he did it for the right reasons. He did it to back the will of God. He did what was right, and he put it all on the line. And now that he has a choice, he says, I just want to be with my family. It's always been that way. In the 12th year of 15 years of Alzheimer's, my father would take me on a tour of the house. I didn't need a tour. I'd grown up there. And then when he's done with that, he takes you on another tour. And it's just this endless loop, like Groundhog's Day. And I wanted to be a polite son. And I, oh, yeah, Dad. Oh, yeah. And he didn't talk. And you walk upstairs on the right side of the wall, Legion of Merit, Silver Star, Bronze Star, Combat Action Ribbon, Time Magazine, President of Chamber of Commerce, President of Rotary, Senior Executive Vice President, all of his commendations, all the way down the right side of the wall. Left side of the wall, pictures of the family. Wasn't, and I'm so slow. 
bless his heart. He just he wanted to teach me even though he couldn't speak. Why didn't I get it earlier? I realized about the eighth time through, he never showed me the right side of the wall. He always showed me the family. Son, you live for them. You serve them, you protect them, you provide for them, and you give them a future. I did all that for that. This is what matters. Until he got to the very end, and the only thing he'd point on the right side of the wall was all of these amazing medals. I mean, we're talking, you know, combat action ribbon, three tours of Vietnam, all of his commands, his sword, everything. He never looked at that. Shaking, aged, 80-year-old finger, he'd point to this 70-year-old weathered medal. It was his Eagle Scout. He was saying, I learned how to take care of them when I learned morality there. That's bars a lie. My dad just wanted to be with us. He didn't want the pleasures of the palace. But he wanted the best for me. And Barzillai looks at David and he says, look, my son put everything on the line too when he stood with me. If you want to bless me, bless my son because you are a courageous man and I want you to impart that to my boy. I'm old and I don't have the ability to give him what you have, David. And David said, I'll do that. I'll treat him like he's my own. And he does just that. And they travel and he kisses Barzillai and he crosses over. And then we lose sight of him. Barzillai, the Gileadite. But we don't lose sight of Kimham, his son. There's a passage I'll show you later, but I'll read it to you now. It says, they departed and dwelt. And this is Jeremiah 41, 17. They departed and dwelt in the habitation of Kimham, which is near Bethlehem. And as they went on their way to Egypt. I, I, I love that word habitation. It's, um, it's girut in Hebrew. It means lodging place. It means Motel 6. It's a place that you would, you would go to and pay to stay. And it was in Bethlehem. Which interestingly enough, that's not his hometown. Gilead is his hometown. That's where Kim Ham's from. That's where Barzillai was from. Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem has in common with this place? Oh, by the way, have any of you ever been to Bombay Beach? It's on the Salton Sea in California. It was supposed to be a really cool development so you could see the Salton Sea and then it evaporated and they're just in the desert going, whoop, that really didn't work. <laughs> that would have been a place I would have invested in. <laughs> and there's about 600 people there. And they're holding on for dear life. Hyder, Alaska, I think 712 is their population. Don't forget about Oatman, Arizona. That's a real important place to go. Less than 700 habitation. Gilbert, Arkansas, less than 700, all related. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the family tree doesn't branch there. Blackwater, Missouri, same thing. What they have in common with Bethlehem is that in Jeremiah 41, and also when you get to Luke chapter 2, the population of Bethlehem is less than 700 people. Most of those towns don't have a hotel. They can't sustain a hotel. Not enough business. You're like, well, what's the point? I don't know, let's move on. No. They departed and dwelt in the habitation of Kimham, which is near Bethlehem. And they went on their way to Egypt. Before I answer that question, I want to talk about something. Jesus was born, and, and scholars dispute this, but many messianic and also rabbis, very well-studied rabbis. And, and by the way, in, in Leviticus, um, the, the year of Jubilee is, um, is, is, is outlined in Leviticus 23 and Leviticus 25. And, and you're wondering what it is. 
I want to read it to you. I'm actually going to skip 23, and I'm just going to go to 25 for the sake of time. This is verse 1 of Leviticus 25. I want to tell you what the year of Jubilee is, and it'll all tie in. You'll see. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and on the sixth year you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath of the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of it, of its own accord, of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is a year of rest for the land, and the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. For you, your male and female servants, your hired man and your stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, and all its produce shall be for food. Now the year of Jubilee. Here we go. You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, 49. And the time of seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years, and then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the Tenth day of the seventh month, on a day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land. Now, pay attention. Verse 10, if you don't know where this is from, it's on your liberty bell in Independence Hall. Verse 10, Leviticus 25, verse 10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vines, for it is a jubilee, and it shall be holy to you, and you shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession... And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer numbers of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of years of crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress uh, where's verse 3? There it is. One another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord. Almost finished. You shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce, then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. That's a good year. You talk to any farmers, they see that in the sixth year. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until uh, produce comes in, and you shall eat of the old harvest. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land of your possession you shall grant redemption of the land if one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession and it is his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man whom it was sold and return to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee it shall be released. And he shall return to his possession. The land loses its value the closer you get to Jubilee because it goes back to its original owner. Wouldn't that be interesting when we played by those rules? Did you know that this was a commandment of the Lord that the Jews never observed? Not once. I don't have time to read all of this. But they never observed it. Why do I point this out? Look at Luke chapter 2. I'll read it to you. Came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered and given a vaccination. <clears throat> this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
Joseph, Jesus' father, also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, city of David, city of David, that was his hometown. Jesus was born there. David was born there. Where is that, Rob? Which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David. You go back to your ancestral home to be registered with Mary. By the way, her lineage goes through David. Joseph's lineage goes through David. It's their home. He was betrothed to a wife who was with child. Verse 6, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Almost finished. What inn? The lodging place. What lodging place? The only one in a town of 700. The one that was given to Kimham by David. David? That was his ancestral home. Oh, you mean it belongs in his family? Yeah. And Jesus was born in the year of Jubilee. Oh. It all returns to its original owner. Yeah. So Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus of the lineage of David come to the ancestral home of David. You keep on knocking, but you can't come in. There's no room for you here. What do you mean? There's no room for you here. Let's just pause. It's more than just the innkeeper going, eh, we, we got a stable with the feeding trough you can put the baby in, in that cave over in the backyard. It's more than that. It's the rightful owner standing at the door saying, I want to come into my house. It's the year of Jubilee. This is my ancestral home. It returns to its rightful owner. You've never observed the Jubilee, but God's never forgotten it. And the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of David, who has come and fulfilled every one of the prophecies, the Messianic prophecies, just seven of the over 3,000 would be like covering the state of Texas three feet deep in silver dollars, painting one red, throwing it somewhere in the great state of Texas and parachuting a blind man and he gets to walk the state but he only gets to pick up one silver dollar and he finds the red one. That's seven of the 3,000 prophecies. The more sure word of prophecy. Oh, if you've dismissed the scriptures because you had a comparative religion class in junior college, look at you, you smart one. You, you have dismissed something you've never read. Do you understand the warp and the woof of the fabric? That God prophesied this, that all of these things came to fruition, so this day he would speak to you, and he would say that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein, and you've been created in my image, and you're not a self-made man, you're not a self-made woman. Who keeps your lungs moving and your heart beating at night? What part of yourself did you make? The earth is the Lord's, it's his, you're breathing his air, drinking his water, eating his food, living on his dirt, and these are his laws. And you are enslaved to your own passions. Those things you don't want to do, you do. And it's destroying your family. And the, and the things you want to do, those you don't do. And you come here today and you want to be free. And you're, you're burdened by what you've witnessed. And you're seeing it implode before your very eyes. And you're saying, what's the answer? The answer is liberty. Verse 10. It's to be proclaimed throughout all the land to all the inhabitants. That where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And he's come to set the captives free, and he begins with you individually. And he comes to the home that is rightfully his. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb. You are not self-made. God made you. He made you in his image. And we have a systemic disease called sin that has been transferred and, and passed down through the generations, and he has given us the antidote. This his body broken, his blood shed for the remission of your sins, to reconcile you to the Father, to occupy the home that is rightfully his, your heart. He wants to be invited in. He won't demand ownership just like he didn't to the innkeeper. He's a gentleman. 
And had that innkeeper known that he would have housed the Son of God, he would have found room. Today you know. And this is the year of Jubilee to proclaim liberty to all the inhabitants of the land. You want freedom? It begins by allowing your life to be set free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He comes to set you free from the greatest slave master. And that's you. And he's going to allow you to die that he might live. And then he's going to allow you to be an instrument of goodness and to contend in fearlessness to set the captives free. And you, like Barzillai, will never be afraid. Fear will be lifted. And you'll contend for your sons and your grandsons and your daughters and your granddaughters. And you'll put it all on the line and you'll pledge your lives, your fortunes, and your sacred honor because you are already dead and Christ is alive. And right now he knocks at the door of the end of your heart and it belongs to him. And he wants to reconcile you to the Father so that damnation doesn't await you. He doesn't, he doesn't want to win you by fear. Don't come to Christ because you're afraid of hell. He wants to win you because he loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give you life and life more abundant and give you purpose and meaning and direction and strength and courage. And it's all right here. My Catholic brothers and sisters, I think, sometimes venerate this too much. And Protestants don't venerate this enough. My Catholic brothers and sisters say it's a literal body and blood of Christ. And yet, some of these priests would deny their congregants access. Some of the priests are bold. And the bishops are kicking them out. And I'm like, come join us. You're always welcome. And they descended on us on Palm Sunday because we had the audacity to tell the governor the church is essential and that communion is critical, that this is freedom. And he wanted to suppress it while he sold the parts of babies and flushed the remainder into the sewer systems of our nation, calling that essential. And all of you stood. That's called courage. It comes from relationship with the Lord because we're no longer afraid to die because we begin to truly live. Christ has come to set you free. That's communion. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue. Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. It's by grace through faith that you're saved. It's a real simple transaction. Jesus, you paid it, I receive it. This belongs to you, come in. And he does. And you become a new creature in Christ. Forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead. He cleans up your mess and turns it into a treasure. I have no idea how he fixed my life. And there are some things he's still working on. I am a challenge. <laughs> We're going to take communion together. Let's invite the worship team up. Today is a day we all become free. The order of communion is the, the bread first, the cup second, because the body had to be broken before the blood could be shed. And I've always said it, and I'll say it again. If you screw up the order, you're still going to heaven. But remember this, that on the night that he was to be betrayed, he did that Passover meal, the longest-running family meal in world history. And the whole purpose, if you've ever been to a Passover, is to say, we were once in bondage, and now we've been set free. Let's not forget where we've come from and who we are. And no man will enslave us. Christ has come to set the captives free. His body was broken to cleanse you. And to cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. To be remembered no more. Come let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they'll be washed as white as snow by my blood. There's power in the blood. And Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. That's the beauty of communion. This is a profound moment of freedom. And while we worship, you'll take communion at your leisure. And when you're finished, as the music begins to minister to your heart, stand and worship this God who has now given you liberty. He set you free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful Savior. I'm an amazing sinner. He's a great Savior. And he is ready today to be yours. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time. And as we prepare to take communion, we do this in honor and in remembrance of you your body broken 
I couldn't die for anyone in this room, nor could they die for me. We are tainted with systemic sin. But you were the antidote. You were fully God, fully man, tempted in all ways, yet without sin. So when your blood was poured out, it was efficacious. It was powerful to cleanse and cover all the world's sins, but only efficient. Or only, yeah, it's only efficient for those who would call upon the name of the Lord. There's, there's plenty of healing to be found at the throne of God as the ground at the foot of the cross is level and all are welcome. You need not be equipped to be called. He'll call you and then equip you. He catches his fish before he cleans them. There's, there's nothing that separates you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He's telling you that right now. While you're yet a sinner, he died for you, and he wants you to know that. And so, Lord, we proclaim that. We thank you that it's your gift of salvation. No man can do this but you. And no one gets the honor and the glory but you. And today we lift up the only name under heaven by which we must be saved, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. And we do this in remembrance and in honor of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Take communion, and as you worship, just stand. God bless you all. Oh, next Sunday, David Barton, first two services youngest congress member in the history of the current uh, House of Representatives, Madison Cawthorn will be doing the third service. It's going to be awesome. Come on out. God bless you guys.